0: Hello and welcome to the Autocar podcast. This is the 2021 Awards episode and joining me for it are uh, some of the big cheeses, big wigs, the Illuminati of Autocar. I've got Steve Cropley, the editor-in-chief, Matt Saunders, the road test editor and Mark Tishaw, a man so important. He only has one word in his job title. He is the editor of Autocar. Good afternoon, uh, lads, and um, thanks for joining us. So before we get underway with the awards... Uh, the world is becoming a little bit easier to get around. And what I've been wondering is when you are allowed and when uh, you have the opportunity, if you could go anywhere in any car, what is your dream road trip? Matt Saunders.
1: I, I've i always, I've, I've, been to the Isle of Man City a couple of times, but I've never driven the mountain course. Um, and I know you have, annoyingly. So um, I think I'd like to do that. And the car I'd like to do it in is either an Aston Martin Valkyrie, because why not? Yeah. Because I love, I love the idea of that thing and just seeing it and hearing it just makes me quite excited. Uh, so it's either that, mate, or... Mm, what was the other one? I was going to go for... Oh, I was going to go for Sebastian Lerb's 205 T16 Pikes Peak car because they talked about taking that to the TT course for a bit. Did they? But never did it. Oh. And I've always thought that would set some preposterously rapid time yeah not that i would be doing it but it would you know it, it would just be the 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 required tool for the job mate surely
0: is that is that uh mark higgins subaru it's still the fastest thing around fastest four wheels around there yeah Sorry. i don't
2: think it's telling it's tony pond anymore
0: mate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it ST1. i'd love to have seen that i've been there i'd love to have seen that go around yeah yeah uh, Stephen.
2: well um, one answers this question now and then uh in our job and uh, so I did my process of elimination. I decided that what I wanted to do was choose a car that I knew was great, a car that would really stick out of the crowd, a car that I've um, needed to have carburettors and a traditional engine, and need to be really, really important car. I've always liked racing cars for the road, so I thought D-type, D-type Jaguar. I've driven a, one or two of them. I know they're really good. But magnificent is the word. And then, as far as um, roads I think I would go from my home in the Cotswolds by a route down through you know across Salisbury Plain and all that down to Goodwood where I would do five laps the circuit and then I would drive back mostly on the A272 because although it's busy and all the rest of it I still love the road so that's what I do.
0: And you've, you you say you've driven one or two what are they like?
2: Fantastic, the, the thing that's amazing about a, a D-type is that you can detect the difference, If you, I've also driven a C-type mm. And that's like a road car. It's like a sort of quite a long bodied Jaguar sports car. Very, but very mechanical. Um, But the thing about the D-Type is that you can just feel the development. You feel feel that it's more compact. You feel that it steers better. You you know, it it sort of corners beautifully. You've still got all the essential stuff from that sort of howling XK engine and and uh, quite a difficult, well, not difficult, but a, but a gear change that needs to be reckoned with. But the but but the the, the kind of cohesion of the car is fantastic. Mm.
3: Mark Tishall, where are you going? Well, I would have always uh, wanted to do Route 66, but you did it, Matt, and I read your feature um, a few years ago, and you didn't paint the greatest picture <laughs> of Route 66, I think it's fair to say, in well, terms of its loveliness.
0: Yeah, well, I think it depends how long you take to do it. I'd like to go back and take longer, but when you've got... I don't know. We took like four or five days, and it's supposed to take two or three weeks. And you've got a photographer who wants to take six hours' worth of photos, and you've got to do fourteen hours' worth of driving at the same time. Just There's bits of it I loved.
2: What bits car are you in, Matt? Uh, we are
0: in a, an Acura NSX, so the Honda Not NSX bad. here, which was which was great, and actually really well. Wor- I think really works in the US really well. I don't think it's set the world alight over here, but it's uh, it's quite a mature, sophisticated feeling car, and it um, you know they've got wide roads and. It rides really well and goes up driveway ramps without nosing anything and stuff like that. So I think, and there's something quite nice about the fact that it just reverts to complete silence from time to time in town, which is quite cool. But I wouldn't, I'd like to do it again. So, yeah, so, you know, go on, Route 66.
3: Well, I've always liked to do new things uh, and I don't really like going back places, but I think being in a reflective mood for the last uh, year or so, there's somewhere I want to go back to. Um, Since Sardinia has google tells me a town called al on the sort of northwest coast there's a road that runs out of it the sp105 which is probably europe's pacific coast highway rolled into a condensed version oh, really? and i won the hire car lottery on a holiday to sardinia a <laughs> few years ago where the fiat 500 or similar turned out to be a fiat 124 spider oh that's good uh and it was fantastic. So I'd just like to go and do that again. I think it was. It was at sunset. It was just the most perfect drive uh, on an empty road, wide road, great corners in a really good car. I always preferred the one two four to the MX five, but that's not particularly a popular opinion. So I kept keep that to myself a bit. But yeah, just to do that again, I think
0: that's pretty cool. Matt, is that is the uh, MX five versus one two four? Is that a um What's the road test? Uh, what's the road test verdict on that one?
1: I uh, I didn't have much experience of the Fiat. I did like the Abarth very much. I yeah, think that, I did. That was a really cool little car, and it was it had its own little flavour. You know, mm. it, it it didn't feel like a sort of a an MX Five with a funny badge on it at all. And uh, I don't know. I think I did drive the Fiat once, and it felt soft, a little bit soft to me. And, and I'd probably have the Mazda over the Fiat, but maybe not the Abarth.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree.
3: This was Europe Europe's car, de, a Europe car decontented 124 Spider at that as well. It was yeah. a, an unusual spec, I think. Yeah, that's
0: very cool. Um, good, I think I would go, I think I'd go to Scotland, maybe not the North Coast 500, but uh, just some roads up towards Sky and stuff like that where I've had the best drive ever. And I don't know, I mean, I sort of think I'd like to go on my bike, but that feels like cheating. So maybe, a, a, I did have a really nice drive up there in Aston Vanquish, and it's just a great car for that sort of. That sort of long-legged journey where you don't have to use all the revs, but it's you know, fun if you get the chance. So, Yeah, so that is uh, excellent. So that is so that is that. Should we go on to the awards? Good. Well, the Autocar Awards 2021 are sponsored by British Vault, which is Britain's foremost investor in battery technologies, putting the UK at the forefront of global battery tech by building the country's first battery gigaplant, which will be crucial for UK automotive industry as we move towards an increasingly electrified future. Now key to the Autocar Awards at Layer uh, is that they are like no others. I think I mean not only do we celebrate the great cars, but also uh, the people who made them, which we'll come to later. But let's begin uh with some metal. Matt Saunders Autocar invented the road test in what, nineteen twenty
1: eight? Did we just, yeah. And how clever. many have we
0: done? Well, you've done quite a lot you've done quite a lot of them, <laughs> but we've but AutoCAR has done more than five and a half thousand since. And these days a five star test verdict is I think I, i'm not going to be too modest to say it perhaps the most coveted magazine outcome uh in the entire business so we've got five five star three five star three, verdicts, yep. three five star verdicts since this time last year mm. uh what are they
1: they are the alpina b3 touring the porsche Cayenne turbo s
0: porsche tycan porsche tycan smack <laughs> <That's, that's laughs> my hand porsche
1: tycan turbo S, of course yeah and the uh, toyota gi yaris
0: so let's start with the alpina uh, it looks like a 3 Series, but it's not. Uh,
1: well, no, I mean, it is a 3 Series, isn't it? It's, it, it starts off life as, a, as an M340i Touring, but they do some very special things to it. And, you know, they've been doing special things to 3 Series for a long time, but this one, I think, really feels like it's hit a, a very special place, and perhaps that's something they've been building up to, you know, in a roundabout way for a while, but it's just taken a big leap because it's the first time they've used a proper M Division engine. Um, they were always using the sort of the kind of series production, you know, the the, the, the more kind of ordinary engines before, and they were actually having to um, recast the block so they could fit twin turbos because they always did. Whereas BMWs recently were, oh, yes, were, were okay. single turbo. So this one they haven't got to do that. Although they fit their own induction system, their own you know injection um, system, and and um, and it's just it's just the sort of I think this is one of yours, mate. It's it's that sort of one ring to rule them all type car. Because it, it, you know, it, it might be the only performance car you really need. Because it, it you know, if you know, it, it could be the best handling three series. It, it, it's that good, and yet it rides because they always do. Because they manage to always put sort of nineteen and twenty inch dinner plate wheels on these cars, and somehow still make them ride. Um, and it's really fluent, and it doesn't sort of take itself too seriously. It's not sort of gnarly or, or um, you know, too too kind of firm like a, like the M cars can be. Um it's explicitly intended for sort of fast touring, um, but it works on B roads. It's got a fifteen hundred litre boot, you know. I mean I know there's gonna be an M three touring proper this time around, but um it won't be as sort of versatile and as laid back and as as as, as really sort of singular, I think, as this as this
2: B three will. What's the relationship between Alp- I mean Alpina is owned by BMW, isn't it? You know, don't don't um I always wonder whether BMW, when they when they build the original car, whether they ro- leave room for the Alpina somehow?
1: I'm not sure it's that official. I don't. I don't. Th- there may be a bit of a, a bit of a stakeholding, but I, do they own them completely? I'm not sure. I don't know. Do. I I but I think was, there's. A, I
0: thought it there's, was, relatively independent I it isn't think it the guy is, yeah. who is owns it? A, a big wine importer and stuff so it's not like AMG no 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 no. I don't think so I yeah. don't think so which, it got, the which makes God, me wonder how they end up with the arra- very generous arrangement they seem to have
2: Bovensepan Siepen. that's yeah. it
1: yeah and he's a he's a wine merchant who also does cars yeah um, and, and Burkhard was the bloke who, who founded it and his son Andy is the guy who's still in charge
2: now um,
1: uh, but you know I just
2: had a feeling they were I must. to so there may be another a, thing I don't
1: know there may be a small sort of shareholding but I, I think they're still pretty independent um, and it's just such a special thing mate. and I suppose ideally it would have a couple of cases of, of uh, <laughs> expensive but wouldn't it yeah. but, so
0: since and since doing that we've driven the M3 since doing this uh, what do you reckon well I, I'm a fan
1: of the M3 mm.
0: um, but
1: I think they stand I think they genuinely stand up as independent you know a sort of discrete performance cars of their own character that you would buy for slightly different reasons you know you would certainly do a lot more track driving in the in the m three um and in a way it feels like you would expect it to it's a bit more sharp um it's a bit more kind of um frenetic and aggressive i suppose um whereas the alpine is that bit more 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 fluent and sort of road appropriate and it feels like a car you could drive every day of the year yeah, yeah. and that's the point, isn't it yeah.
0: Okay, fair enough. And so to the Porsche Taycan, which is—is is that the first EV that we've given five stars to? Certainly is, mate. Yeah, landmark. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a. Uh, but we like it.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, what's, what's not to like about that car? We would, we were sort of, I was comparing notes on this with Steve earlier, and we were talking about the the Audi E-Tron GT, which of course is closely related, and we just happened to have, have, have driven, um, and. What seems to be emerging is this idea that while both cars are uh, obviously very, very similar, the execution of the Porsche, the really fine tuning of it, is what makes it so special. Um, And they just do that, don't they? They, they, It's as if they they can just sweat the detail of those cars twice as hard as, as anybody else, and they just... You know, the way that the, the tactile feel of that car comes across through the steering and, and the sort of lovely um, uh, sort of instant balance that it has. And the one thing that just blew me away about it the first time I drove it was how small it felt and how light it felt. And when you think it's, you know, 2.3 tonnes um, and it's not a small car and, and yet it genuinely feels like a proper Porsche.
0: Yeah, because it's what, nearly five metres long and two metres pretty much across the... Body nearly? It must it's be that be wide, there, mate. I'm not sure it's yeah.
1: quite that long, but it's certainly big. I think we had it again next to a an AMG GT four door and a um, a Polestar, and it managed to just about seem small compared to those cars. So compared to a a you know a big super saloon like an M5 or something, it would probably still feel quite quite little in, in in its way. But yeah, it's not it's not a lights car, is it? But Jesus, you
2: wouldn't know just no, the way no, no. the way it goes down the road is exceptional. Yeah, they do. We like we like the low spec. Well, don't we? We like the two-wheel
1: drive, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a song we've sung so many times. It's
2: so it's so Porsche, isn't it? Yeah. You know, forget the options. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Make it as light as you can.
3: Matt, I find in driving performance EVs, we we all know how they accelerate. How do you find the way they decelerate these performance EVs? It's sort of that is an even more unusual feeling, isn't it? It when, is, when and it's a very, on.
1: It's a very mixed bag. Um Some of them still have pretty awful brake pedals on, Um, and it's a real challenge technically because, you know, in order to do this properly, you sort of either have to somehow leave all the brake energy regeneration to one side and just give yourself a normal brake pedal, Um, or you have to have a fully electronic system that blends the two things together somehow and tries to make it seem natural, and that's where they fall down because you you just get this funny sort of two stage kind of funny um feel to the brake pedals where they where, where the resistance and the pedal changes halfway down and, um uh but the, no not on a taken I've, I've never while while you would say that maybe the brakes on that car don't feel as strong as some because it's such a big heavy thing and that, that's that's where it does feel heavy i think if you get on a track and you you really use the brakes you'll find the end of them you know pretty soon because it's just the weight of the thing but um on the road i think they're really nicely handled i think the, the pedal's really nice
0: so I think one of the, uh, I saw somebody saying the other day, a, a ride handling engineer was talking about these new 2,000 horsepower EV hypercars and things. He said, well, the thing is, is, is that if you have a motor big enough to be a generator that can absorb under braking so much power, you end, you basically end up with all of that. You have to have a big motor to do it. So therefore you you end up, you naturally end up with a 1,000 horsepower plus hypercar, which is bonkers. But it's just more efficient to do that way. Otherwise you don't brake properly. you which I, thought was biz- which I thought was odd, but it maybe explains why all of these hypercars have got four-figure, slightly slightly absurd power outputs, but uh, have, we dri- have we driven anything yet with that kind of power? With, uh, with no, EV, with, from not that I
1: can think of, mate. Not I mean, the Avaya the will be the first thing, I suppose, yeah. when, it, when it lands, when we have a go in that. Um, uh, and, yeah, I mean, other than that, mate, I've, I don't think we've, any of us have been anywhere near a Rimac, or a you know, th- those sort of really out there yeah. 2,000 horsepower ones. Yeah.
0: Well, slightly less horsepower, but uh, no less fun. Toyota GR Yaris. Mm. Tell us about it.
1: What a car that was, mate. That that was a bit of a bolt from the blue last autumn, wasn't it? Um, I I remember doing that. I I was in it first. Apart mm. from well, I think we had a prototype drive. But I, I I did a first drive, and it was all under embargo, and I knew how brilliant it was, and couldn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was like torture. <laughs> <laughs> but such a special car, you know, such a such a sort of a a throwback really i i I couldn't believe that they could come and make that sort of car again in in 2020 um in the environment that we've got um and to have you know to have to have just created the culture where you can do that in you know in in these times i think is a real is a real um, Testament to, to Toyota, you know, and their commitment to the idea of making making real driver's cars again. Mm. Just come up, you know, come up with a car like that from, from, from almost nothing. It's remarkable.
0: Yeah. And they, and without anybody else's help this time, I mean, they've said, uh, you, and I believe it, you know, no, we needed the joint venture with Subaru, we needed the joint venture with BMW to make the 86 and the Supra, but just, I don't know, it just feels wild that they just, because it's nothing, it, it bears so little resemblance to a Yaris, the Yaris Super Mini, does it? It's taken off the, I mean, you, they take it off the line and build it somewhere, finish it somewhere Do you know how? Do you know how much they have made before they take it away to do something <laughs> I else? I wouldn't like to guess. It's mate, sort of Mark One Focus RS levels, of bespoke, isn't it? Which is
3: it's the only three door Yaris you can get. Yeah, there's, there is no yeah. other Yaris with less than five doors. given going. it's
0: thirty grand, I mean, I think that's pretty.
2: But they haven't sp- spared the horses, have they? They haven't. They haven't sort of. There's no evidence of uh, of, of cost cutting to to uh, t- you know the job is complete, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I love your point, Matt, which is um, that the quicker you're going, it the better it feels. Yeah, yeah, so
0: slightly antisocial <laughs> in the end, doesn't it? But yeah, <laughs> well, uh, just
2: things like the ride, you know, mm. and the poise of the car. It's, it's, it, uh, it's. I don't think you have to go absolutely mad, but you can, of course. It reminded me so much of those
1: very early Impreza turbos, where they had all of the wheel travel and the dexterity and and that lovely sort of progressive feel about them before they got really serious and you know too 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 dialed up. Really, yeah. um, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Amazing.
0: And what I really like is it, it's the sort of car that we bang on about, which sometimes doesn't necessarily equate to people buying it. But it seems that they've sold, that they're selling as many as they can build.
2: You seem don't. to hear from r- readers the whole time, people saying, oh, and by the way, my Yaris GR arrives yeah. in a month's time. So they seem to be doing OK. Mm it's really benefiting from the sort of end of the century thing there
1: isn't it you know it must be people buying that thinking right well it's all over soon you know speed limiters electric cars I'll just have one of these and then I'll call it I'll call it a day yeah. but I think it
2: also you boys going on about how you know what a what a lovely ownership proposition it is spend 30 and have the 911 experience almost you know the, the, that level of enjoyment and engagement and it's lovely
0: good so that is our five star road test cars from this time last year to now and let's move on to our first person award which is the mundy award for engineering and steve you're going to talk to me uh, most about this i think talk to me about who the mundy award is named after
2: well harry mundy was a an eminent engine designer um he designed uh he was involved in the design of the Lotus Twin Cam 1600 engine that went into the Elan and the Lotus Cortina. He was also um, involved, if not the the com- did the complete design of the Jaguar V12 that started off in life in the XJ and the uh, XJS and. Uh, various other things but they're the they're the headline ones
0: this year we have given it to matt becker who is the chief engineer of vehicle attribute engineering at aston martin um and steve the dbx is the sort of headline thing for aston at the minute isn't it it's it's an exceptional it's an suv that feels you know that drives in some ways like a sports car but that is not i don't know i think that would be to say that it's just for that would be underplaying Mm. the significance matt oh no he's made a big
2: difference hasn't he matt he he uh but the thing that the, the D B X is the is is the greatest advertisement for his capabilities because, you know, it's high, it's heavy, it's long, it's a, it's an SUV and yet well as as you know, as we know, it, it drives brilliantly and, and uh you can own one and have the Aston experience along with all the practicality.
0: Yeah. What do you reckon to the rest of the uh the rest of the Aston range?
2: Um uh, it was interesting. We were just um, Mark Tishaw and I have just just been talking to Tobias Mersey, the the boss of Aston Martin, and so our our impression is now coloured by him a bit. He he feels that uh, the elements are all there, but they but they can be brought together better. The, the, and they've produced this thing called the Vantage Formula One Edition, which on the same power as the the car before it um, can go around the Nürburgring 15 seconds a lap quicker and he says that's all because of balance and suspension uh, refinement and steering and so on and he feels that that kind of um, uh, resource is available in all of the Aston range, he says he drove them all in Germany before he even took the job and um, so he he feels that the the underpinnings of of Aston's are great but but they need this finessing and he's in the process of doing it
0: did did you get the impression that that's just cost and time that they were just short of before to just you know get things they just, they were just in a hurry to get things out the out the door or or what was your what was your vibe?
3: I think Aston Martin before had some very aggressive growth plans linked into their IPO um, on the stock market uh, and and it was necessary in a way to, to generate interest in what was a, a failing company. Um, you know, it kind of was going nowhere. Uh, it's traded on its design for so long but but Matt is one of the people um Matt Beck who who had come in under the previous management and you know he really had made a difference and and I think it's it's incredibly noteworthy that he is one of Tobias Moore's key people in this team he is now the chief engineer Marek Reichman, a previous uh, Autoco Awards um, winner as well, will retain in in charge of design. So you've got two incredibly talented people in um, Matt and Marek there working for Moors, who is a a proven quantity in growing AMG. So it's all good news for Aston Martin. They've got the leader now to sort of get them to where they need to be and really liberate the, the talented people
2: that are there. It's worth bearing in mind also that Matt Becker was it. Well, he served his apprenticeship, I suppose, at Lotus, and you know, one of his he's got a hell of a back catalogue because all of those cars are beautiful to drive, aren't they? And the, but one of the best is the Evora, which hasn't been a conspicuous success because it's funny to have a two-plus-two mid-engine car, to me anyway. But the thing they've done with the chassis of that thing is make it beautiful. I mean, we've said, I don't know whether it would still hold up, but in years past we've said it's one of the finest driving machines you can buy at any money.
0: Yeah, I think it, it won our Britain's Best Driver's Guard, didn't it, in 2011? 12? Did it, it didn't did it? Win, didn't win back-to-back, did it? But it, was, no. it came up pretty well the next year. Still fantastic, too. Yeah. I had
2: a go in one six months ago. Mm. Still brilliant. Superb.
0: Well, our congratulations to Matt. A couple of weeks ago, I caught up with him and gave him the good news. So, Matt, congratulations. Uh, this award is not just for the DBX, but DBX is is a broad product for you and for Aston Martin as
2: well. Thank you. I'm I'm absolutely honoured to to win this award. I mean, I started in this career probably from about the age of five years old. I used to spend a lot of time driving in Lotus's
1: with my father. Um, so, and you know, learning the art of dynamics from
2: a very early age was was kind of Installed into my brain, I didn't always understand the manoeuvres he was making in the car. But as time went on, and he explained things, and I got to, got to do it for myself, I started to understand what what dynamics was. And um, yeah, this award is you know is is fantastic. I'm really really pleased to receive such a prestigious award.
0: So now we'll move on to our design award, and uh, Mark, you're going to tell us um, a bit more about this.
3: And. This- deep breath for this one, it's a man of a jo- very long job title Klaus Spuss, uh, who is the head of design for, wait for it, Fiat Abarth, Lancia, Alfa Romeo, Maserati at the FCA uh, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, now Stellantis of course, Stellantis is ju- just kind of working out it's new new management structure but but fundamentally Klaus is in charge of uh, all those great um, Italian car makers um, any one of them alone has the most incredible heritage but, but he is the, the curator and leader of all of them um richard bremner did did the interview with him for a piece in in the magazine website around this award and when you when you reflect on it and the hits he's done in the last just two or three years is incredible he's reinvented the fiat 500 um for a third time for an electric era um and i think it looks fantastic the new 500 i think it's done really sympathetically at the same time he's he's effectively relaunching maserati with a whole new range of cars the first of which being a mid-engine supercar the mc20 which I, f- I think i haven't really seen a dissenting word about that car either looks fantastic um go back a couple of years and he did the uh a couple of geneva concepts the alfa romeo tonale the the baby suv I, I don't think there's a better small suv out there either and the um, the the Fiat concept, the if I pronounce this right, the Centaventi, um, which kind of looked at how uh, uh, the Panda can evolve. Uh, all the work of Klaus, he, he's not um, a, a man you you see for, saw uh, hear from too often, actually, um, surprisingly. But but he's just a really quietly brilliant operator who just produces incredible cars for incredible brands.
0: Yeah, I mean, for all of those brands, ups and downs and everything else, they just. And they're really good. They're some really good looking cars, aren't they? Some mm.
2: they things. I think they 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 avoid the mainstream, don't they? You know, you know, there are so many cars that you know nowadays, if you took the badges off, they might well be something else, but none of those cars could be anything else. The alphas are the alphas, the Fiat's are absolutely you know, belong where they are. The you know, the the, the uh, the, the panda concept, they're great at keeping their identity, I believe,
0: yeah, and without how to put this without the uh well they're not offensive but they're distinctive at the at the same time elegant and i agree you know it's it's one of those cars that i think when when somebody says look you've got the choice of making a good-looking car or a bad-looking one just why why would you not make it good-looking and it's just they, they strike me as yeah really uh really really emotional and elegant and all those things that that are good car design
2: should be. Yeah, I remember, P- I remember Peter Stevens, you yeah. know, the, the McLaren F1 designer, saying uh, he, his principle was always, it's got to have a skin, why not give it a good one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's not, the, you know, it, it's quite fashionable
3: or a bit cliche to sort of comment on, the you know, the management of, of some of the Italian brands and, you know, constantly needing saving. As I say, design ha- hasn't been the issue there at all, and it, it's, um, you know, Klaus is a German, uh, came through Mercedes you know he, he really kind of gets it he, he's um, in his early 50s he's been around the industry a long time um, yeah and it, 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 over the last sort of 10 years or so the designs of some of those cars are some of the best on the market but they just don't necessarily have the kind of the businesses around some of those Italian car makers to really make them the successes they should be yeah I
0: wonder if under new new ownership slash whatever he's I don't know I get the vibe that maybe maybe they will be
3: yeah I think Tavares, so Carlos Tavares um, is head of the new, the the merger of um, FCA uh, and PSA and he was speaking only a couple of weeks ago saying that every single brand will be given a, a leader who will have 10 years of investment 10 years to define exactly who their customer are, the cars they want to make and go out and do it and I, I think they've never really been given that kind of clarity um, of management before. Look at Alfa Romeo uh, the, the man who's gone in to lead that, uh, Jean-Philippe Imperato, has been behind the Peugeot turnaround the last seven or eight years, and Peugeot pound for pound is probably the best performing car maker probably the last five or six years in where it was to where it is in a single generation of cars. And he's now in charge of Alfa Romeo, so it's, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, he strikes me as a, as a as a good uh, Imperato. I've met him a couple of times, and he's a, he's a very clear, focus driven. But he's also he understands cars and why you would want to. Have one, doesn't he? I Do mean, he understands why. I mean, Tavares himself about?
2: is the same, isn't he? Yeah. He's got. I mean, he actually, back home in, where he lives in Portugal, is it? He he um, he actually owns a company that restores cars for. People. Oh really? That's super. Excellent.
0: Good. Right now, on to our lifetime uh, achievement award. And um, Steve, could you uh, introduce introduce this? Yes, this award, for award us?
2: goes to Richard Parry Jones, who died very sadly just a few weeks ago um he we were lucky would be the wrong word but we were able to contact him a few weeks before uh, he died um, just to to offer him the award and he was proud to uh, to take it and th- we're, we're giving it to him on the basis that he changed cars he he was a young f- Ford engineer who didn't see why they needed to produce these rather uh, sort of mundane and poor driving machines that were were continually panned by people like us. And he managed to, because he was a fantastic communicator and a brilliant engineer, he managed to convince both his management, who took some convincing because they're motivated entirely by money, and his retinue of engineers, hundreds of them. And the way he did it was to communicate with the... Um, the motoring press, and the, and the first of the motoring press that he contacted was us, Autocar. And, and so we, we wrote him up, and as he said, people believed what they read in the paper. So we, so we, have, a, we have a pretty close connection. That was 93, um and Parry Jones went on. Uh, the, that was with the Mondeo, which was a you know, far better car than the, what had gone before and then of course it led on through you know cars like the 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 original Ford Focus 98 97 8 and of course the KA and the Fiesta and all the rest of them and and Ford now has a has a culture of of producing um very good cars dynamically and this the 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 excellent um publicity message that that followed this motivated um the rest of the industry, the Renaults and the VWs, and e- even VW, even Piesch at, uh, at uh, VW, felt it necessary to make changes to the Golf to, to, to make it a better car. And I can I remember interviewing Piesch actually one time, and we talked about Richard Parry Jones, and he said, Yes, I tried to hire him, but unfortunately I found he was paid more than me. <laughs> and I spoke to Richard about this, and he didn't comment.
0: <laughs> That's super. When you go around and you talk to industry engineers, there are hardly any who haven't been influenced and, and touched by. Him. Yeah. But actually, and actually, not just his generosity in talking to young engineers and, and mentoring. Even you know, if, as Becca was saying, you know, he's he's been his mentor at, at Aston Martin in recent years. He's just uh, there's there's hardly a, an engineer in the business who doesn't owe something to him.
2: The thing that was great about R P J was that he Ford owned. Um, four or five of these marks, Aston, Volvo, um, Jaguar, Land Rover, Lincoln, all in this in this body called the Premier Automotive Group. And, of course, Parry Jones had a foothold in all of those, so he was able to affect the way all of these cars drove. And so, as well as the making them all better, he, he he was able to encourage them to have characters of their own. And, and those cars, the reason a Land Rover drives well now is down, to some extent, to richard parry jones even the guys that are that are working now on jlr cars will tell you that
0: great thanks steve uh now let's move back to some metal um matt saunders we can talk about britain's best driver's car we do not one but two of these every year don't we so britain's best affordable driver's car which we do every summer or thereabouts
1: generally this last year it was a little bit later we did him we did him at the same time um but yeah uh, our winner was the was the GI Iris the Touch again um, and I can't think of a, a sort of a more unanimous one maybe that we've ever had. We we must have been doing it for ten years now or, or longer, um, and we we you know we try to do it in a similar way to the big uh, 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 drivers car contest. So we have judges and we all score cars independently and then and then um, we add them all up and I think. I think I think we had four or five judges, and 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 three or four of them all had it all had it top, and yeah. you know, we were we were sort of there on on X just a little bit, um, in awe really, and, and and wondering how it could it could have shown up next to a Civic Type R, and you know some really you know some cars that really ought to have ought to have dominated it, and and it was just. So much more fun, I think. Um, and when you've got, you know, a Fiesta ST in the mix, that's that's saying something.
0: Yeah, the only thing that got that close was a... The Civic was second, was it, last year? Is that right? And yeah. only one or, like you say, only one or two judges, but the Civic was the only car to really give it any kind of challenge, wasn't yeah. it, if I remember? And it yeah. was that special Civic. It wasn't the standard.
1: It was the one on the cup tyres, and yeah, yeah. it was the limited edition.
0: Yeah. And like you say, you've got a Golf GTI and the Fiesta ST, hmm. and you would think usually there'd be well, you'd
1: imagine forever. it would be a it would be a much more closely run thing, but mm. it's just such a special car, that Toyota. It's just come from a different planet almost. It <laughs> Nobody saw it coming, and you, we all just have to kind of acknowledge what a lightning bolt of the thing it is, mm. I think.
0: Yeah, and the winner of that contest goes through to our uh, all-comers, Britain's Best Driver's Car, which we sometimes internally just call Handling Day, and we've been running for 35, 32, 33, 30
1: plus this the years, years, isn't it? 31st running or the 32nd, yeah. something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, which we did in oh blimey the weather was lousy wasn't it? but it was <laughs> it was it October was it October late October something like that by the time we it was almost November wasn't it, it yeah in. it was yeah.
1: about as late as we've ever run it and it was it was Castle Coombe and it was coming down sideways the weather yeah and yeah. Uh, Castle Coombe can be a treacherous old place mm. even when it's dry can't it so um, I think we all consider ourselves pretty lucky to keep our noses clean um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a our winner was the was was obviously the the, the Atom Four. So so the first time um, that car that car won the year before, so it, it defended its title. And there's not been many over the years that have managed that. Yeah. Um, and in the conditions, in the circumstances, I think that is nothing short of incredible really for yeah. that for that car to overcome you know imagine how you are sat in a piece of mobile scaffolding where you're being you know blown away and and you know the water's creeping up your trouser legs and and uh, it just it just such a delightful thing anyway you know just it just overcame all that because yeah. you can drive it really carefully you know and feeling your way around and dodging the puddles and 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 you know and still have confidence in it. Still get so much out of it, and and still have such a rich experience because, because it can be fun even when you're not at Castle Combe in the dry. You know, absolutely on the door handles. Yeah. It it just communicates, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, that's what struck me is I think 2008, I think it was. It was it, we were in we were at Bedford and on the roads around there, and we had an Audi R8 and a 911 GT3 RS and a Lotus 211. And the weather was lousy then, and the 211 didn't do brilliantly. But it's a similar concept to the Atom. Whereas you know, even in even in those conditions, people are getting out the Atom going, yeah, that's that's the car I want to go. I would happily happily go out in again, happily drive a hundred. Thing is, there's, so, there's
2: such a fabulous ownership proposition too. You, you know, you they make whatever it is eighty a year, maybe fewer. I don't know, but but uh, just as many as they want to make really. And um, interestingly, they're 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 still working away at their their waiting list right through the COVID business, yeah. but. Um, I owned one for four years, and and I always boast about this. When I sold it, I got back to the pound note. the uh, the amount I paid for it. Wow! And uh, in fact, I owned it for three and three quarter years. The thing I always used to do is go in the garage and look at it, and look at the panel, the gaps between the panels, and look at the welds, and look at it's. It's honestly, it built like a watch. Mm. And I remember Simon Saunders, the boss, saying to me, "If it goes wrong, you only do one thing," and I said, "What's that?" And he said, "You bring it back, and we fix it. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, but I won't be seeing you. Excellent. And and he was right. It was yeah. perfect. To the do, you know to the screw head, it was mm. perfect.
0: And that's. I mean, it's important, isn't it, in a car like that where you can see everything. It all has to be beautifully put together.
2: Yeah. Oh, it was a it was a great experience. I should have kept it.
0: Mm. All right, and then. That is our Britain's Best Driver's Car winners for both of those competitions so let's move on for some uh, motorsport and the winner for this year's uh, motorsport award I'm going to pronounce this wrong if I'm not careful Alejandro Agag for Formula E and Extreme E Mark
3: Yeah, he's a he's, a, he's quite the character and someone we're going to be seeing and hearing of a lot in the future um, He set up uh, Formula e in 2014 and a, a great quote from, from Zac Brown, when Alejandro first presented Formulary e years ago I laughed and I was wrong, said the Macla- uh, McLaren mean. boss, he's a real visionary and I wish more people in racing were as commercially focused as he is, mm. we're in sports and entertainment but the majority of motorsport starts with the question, what are we going to do technically by the way, I hope it works commercially Agag decides what he wants to do commercially, then works out technically how we can do it, here's a balance other racing series could learn a lot from and he, he has disrupted motorsport. Formula E in what, seven or eight years now, it races in city centres. It is not aimed at the the more traditional, purist motorsport fan. It's all about bringing more people into motorsport, and clearly around electric motorsport as well. And now he's gone and do Extreme E, which is for electric uh, off-roaders. Um, it's, it's promoting environmental issues as well. It's trying to be truly carbon neutral, but also um, promoting gender equality as well, which is almost unheard of in motorsport. Really, in, in each team, there's a male and a female driver. Um, so, you know, he, he he stands out. He's different in motorsport. He, he disrupts, but he's done he's done an incredible job mm. and an incredible backstory. He's, he's got a colourful CV. Um, as well, he was a, a former chairman of Queen's Park Rangers football club. Is he? Uh, oh, really, I think of an unpopular one because he was uh, <laughs> he was mates with Bernie and Flavio, but he he, he was uh, at age twenty eight. He was the youngest Spaniard to ever win a seat in the European Parliament, but he quit oh, wow. quit that in two thousand and one. I uh, went into business, but he kind of made his his, his money in his name um, by buying the Spanish Formula One TV rights. With Briatore, just as uh, Fernando Alonso was um, on his way to two world titles. Oh, I see. Um, so he's he's an astute businessman. He he knows what he's doing. But but like Bernie and like Flavio, he he kind of thrives on on chaos and is a bit divide and rule. Um, but he's 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 a brilliant character, and he's doing some some incredible, truly different, pioneering even things. Yeah.
0: And has, has he got a ship that is? New, I, I don't know much about. Is it some research ship that he's taken and made? What is it? What's it power, Is it powered by something else? Is it hydrogen powered or something?
3: Yeah, I i don't want to get it wrong but yeah there is a boat for extreme e travels the world and it's it's unusual locations i think there's i think they're in senegal saudi arabia all sorts of places and it it's a kind of traveling circus that all goes by the ship all, all the cars um well not to say the people um but yeah it it, it travels the world with them and, and transports them and whilst it's in all places they are um planting trees other plantations um all sorts of environmental things to sort of try and make it uh, uh, a carbon-neutral event which doesn't really go sort of hand-in-hand hand with motorsport and again it, it's something that's used as a stick to beat him because it's just you know because
2: he's not normal he's not the typical <laughs> motorsport boss yes. uh, but he's
3: but taken as
0: uh, sorry Steve
2: well the thing I was gonna say is he's um the thing that's remarkable is that he's got such motor industry support mm. you know that's the that's the dream of Formula One, and they had it for a while, years and years ago. But by one by one, they dropped out. But, they, but the supporters' uh, team support from, for, from big motor, motor industry is amazing, and it looks it looks like it's sustainable, doesn't it? Mm. Because they can they can spread the right messages. Yeah. City centres, zero pollution, all the yeah. rest of it.
0: That's the remarkable thing, isn't it? It's it's all very well to pull them on board, but to keep them for as long as they. As yeah. They are, and, and some manufacturers say to me that they, you know they they are learning stuff from it, which is which is important, which you know is important, isn't it? Really? Yeah,
2: it's all it's all this miniaturisation stuff. Yeah. It, somebody was saying to me the other day, you, you know, you should see the size of a of a Formula E electric motor. It's tiny; you can hold it in your fist, and you know, because it just doesn't have to be very big, and that mm. will spread.
0: Mm. Great. Now then, on to celebrate some of Autocar's outstanding UK leaders. And we're going to start with Alison Jones, who is the regional country manager and senior vice president for Citroën, DS, Peugeot, Fiat, Abarth, Jeep, and Alfa Romeo uh, in the UK. Steve, you met Alison recently. I uh, did. Tell us about her.
2: She's um, she's a really, really interesting character. She she I was just writing a bit for the magazine just a couple of days ago, and it, I, I was saying that when she started, which was two and a half years ago, you could... You could argue that she basically took the job and walked into a revolving door, you know, that because, you know, the electrification business, you know, the 2030 was just announced, the COVID was around the corner, and uh, you know there were there were numerous difficulties. Um, she's chosen a hell of a time to <laughs> to take over, but it's all orderly, it's all working, you know, the, the the model launches are going well. The she's done a lot of recruitment of. Um, very accomplished people. She has a fantastic track record for bringing people on and um, allowing her managers to to work out. She, she's, she's got an extraordinary um, LinkedIn CV. I, I was kind of absolutely breathtaking. Mm. Uh, just seems to have done every job. She was formerly the managing director of VW in Britain, so she's high-powered before. Mm. But I think it is unusual for somebody like PSA to just go to another company like that and recruit at that level. But uh, you can see why they've done it. She's an impressive person, no doubt about it.
0: Thanks, Steve. A few weeks ago, uh, you met Alison, and uh, here's what she had to say. Thank you. I'm delighted to accept the award. I'm really proud. Um, It's great um, what a year we've had, what two years we've had since I started in this role. So I was delighted to receive it, and I'm very proud. Thank you. Our second outstanding UK leader is the is from the most profitable UK dealer group, also one of the biggest dealer groups in the UK. It is Eddie Hawthorne, Arnold Clark's chief executive and group managing director. Mark, you uh, can tell us a bit about Eddie.
3: Yeah, Eddie, uh, car dealers in general. Um, there's something we all have a relationship with, you know. In our world, we t- we tend to deal more with, with manufacturers and that, but but fundamentally, for for readers, consumers, buyers, it's with the dealer. Uh, and Eddie has been in charge of Arnold Clark, who's one of the big five um, dealer groups in the UK, and they're a massive operation. They they turn over more than four billion a year. Yeah, these are big big businesses, and he's been in charge of Arnold Clark since 1998. Um, and Arnold Clark is is, is quite a it's quite progressive. It's, it, it's it's reactive in a good way. You know they, they see an opportunity uh, and go with it. Uh, that was that was true last year as well. They were launching all sorts of impressive schemes during the pandemic. Uh, they had a nationwide ninety nine pound deposit system for any car sold online, um, and with all that fast paced change, profits have still remained strong um, in an industry that you know has has suffered a bit like so many others. Uh, he's also very approachable as well Um, when he spoke to us recently he told us about his ask the boss email Uh, it's open to everyone uh, that comes into his office, In, in 2019 he had 111 questions but in the past year he's had over 2000 now and he answers all of them uh, and he thinks that's just a really good transparent way uh, to run the business, even one of the size of and success of Arnold Clark. It's when when the management, um, executive, uh, and board are that approachable, it breeds you know positivity and and buying from from your your staff as well. You know the, the dealers talking to customers um, on the shop floor.
0: Yeah, I always get that vibe. the the, the motor trade doesn't always get a great because it's you know, it is the people the public deal with the most. But Arnold Clark seems to be really well liked.
3: Yeah, no I agree. Yeah, and and it, it it kind of feels a bit more of a human com- company as well, you know, as well. It's a kind of odd thing to say for when you you know, you probably don't appreciate just how big these dealers are, you know, with the sort of 4 billion turnovers and and there there's there's five of them that are up at that that kind of level. But you're right, Arnold Clark, it just yeah, it, it, I don't know if it's even the color palette of the logo and and you know, things like that. It just feels like quite a, a warm Kind of friendly uh, company, Uh, you know. And he was keen himself when when we told him about the award to to make clear that it was for every single one of his employees as well. uh, As well, a lot of people say that, but of course, but but you know, with Eddie, you kind of feel that yeah, he he truly means that. He is he is one of the team. Uh, Yeah.
0: Good. Well, our congratulations then to Eddie and everybody at uh, Arnold Clark. And now it's time for the Innovation Award. The motor industry is. Full of innovation and we've given this award over the years to people who've come up with new products or new ways of maximizing revenue or productivity and all kinds of things but a really different style of award this year it goes to the bentley crisis management team for their response to the covid crisis um mark you've got some more details on that
3: Yeah, it's a a really interesting story this all businesses had their own COVID responses. You know, as we sit in our deserted office here, it's, it's exactly the same one-way systems, etc. Um, Bentley, in the motor industry, really kind of took the lead—a a bit of a PR lead as well, to be to be honest. They were they were really visible um, in their response and socially to begin with, um, but also then in developing systems for all, all their staff. And for this award, we kind of worked backwards from the fact that bentley achieved record profits in 2020 and this is record profits when they when they shut down the factory for seven weeks and i'm at the time I've, I've looked at the fear adrian hallmark who, who won our, one of our awards last year when this was so fresh said each, each week cost 22 million euros so you know simple maths uh, <laughs> he says 154 million euro uh they've lost in it being shut down and then it was only running at 50 percent capacity the factory so you know you're probably looking at 200 250 million euros they lost um uh there but still made record profits mm. that's because they got their staff back to work so quickly but but the speed and then the safety which is where this the crisis management team um comes in really Bentley was really really on the front foot with testing that they carried out 18,000 COVID tests uh, not just on employees but also their family members as well to sort of detect it in the home and there was not a single proven case of of on-site transmission because of all the social distancing and other measures they took in place. Um, They developed their own bespoke apps four of them uh, in-house to gather data test and trace employee health check um, anonymous reporting of, of health and safety improvements just to uh, to keep themselves on their ter- on their toes kind of auditing from an employee basis almost they developed 250 um, plus health and safety measures largely ahead of the wider volkswagen group in in that regard bentley kind of led the whole group really in this and the crisis management team themselves uh, we're hosting weekly but then daily meetings, um, updating the board as well, sometimes three times per day, um, because of how live the crisis was. I mean, you know, again, all businesses c can, can can speak of this really. Uh, but Ben Benny's been, you know, really interesting in in describing it and and proving the difference, um, it's made as well. Uh, then they reopened after Christmas break in, in January. They tested um, all 1,800 staff returning to the site in, in a two-day period. They've still got staff working remotely, but it, it wasn't just the, the kind of health reason. They, they refurbished laptops uh, and made Wi-Fi hotspots for people with children who were short of devices um, for homeschooling. They had the 22-inch wheels um, support meals on wheels. Uh, Donated all. PPE um, and announced funding for a COVID recovery grants in Cheshire Um, as I say industry and business is full of really positive stories like this but but Bentley in particular has been really noteworthy Um, yeah and we congratulate the the crisis management team um, for for their
2: innovative way um, they've dealt with the crisis. Wasn't, Wasn't there a great story about the people returning to work they were, they were. When they were invited to come back, they were. The management was a bit worried about how many would show up, and all but two came in. And the two of the two, one slept in, and the other one had a road accident on the way to work. <laughs> well, this was talking about, you know, well over a thousand. That's people. Remarkable.
0: That is remarkable. Okay, so let's move on to our Readers' Champion uh, Award, which we usually ask readers to come up and nominate to nominate a, a car from a shortlist, but we did it slightly. Differently this year, we gave the reader the choice um, of a fantasy garage with a daily driver of £30,000, which had to be new, a just-for-fun new car on which they could spend £50,000, and then a complete wild card, for which they could spend up to £20,000 to come up with the kind of fantasy garage that some of us sit and scratch our heads and worry about and think about when we should be doing something else when a deadline is looming. But anyway, the answers were... From the the most pop the most popular choices were the daily driver was a Volkswagen Golf, which gets you thirty grand gets you a sort of GTI kind of thing doesn't it I think and the fifty grand just for fun car was the superb Alpine A110, and then the wild card for twenty grand new or used the most popular car there was a used Land Rover Defender. So let's start with the daily Volkswagen Golf. Who wants to uh, who wants to say why they why they're great?
1: Well. They've, they've just always occupied this position which is so unassailable, you know, nobody would go near it. It, it no no rival would it would would really try to make a car like a golf GTI would they? Because because they fail, you know, because because it just had this absolutely perfect blend of, of usability and driver reward, you know, just enough body control, just enough performance, just enough kind of um, feedback and things to to keep you interested to get you out on a Sunday morning, whatever. Uh, but not so much that you wouldn't actually want to use the thing on the office commute, you know. Um, and it's the sort of it's that multiplication of how much I get out of it multiplied by how many times I use it. Um, and yeah, it, the answer is is Golf GTI because you just you you could
2: just use it and and you love it.
0: Yeah. And the Alpine A one hundred and ten, Steve.
2: Oh, <laughs> I I know about this car mainly because of what I've heard from you boys but the but the the joy of it for a start is that it's so light and that everything feeds off that the two things that that really stick out for me are the, the design which is I think is beautiful given that it works and it's you know it's comfortable inside and all the rest of it it still looks beautiful it looks just about you could argue as good as the car that inspired it in the first place and it's light therefore it can it can have a four cylinder engine and a and a uh, you know, the, there's there's this cycle of virtues, isn't there? You, you know, the wheels don't have to be too big, the brakes don't have to be too big. You c- can have a reasonably light engine. And the result is a is such an agile, lovely car. The third thread that I like is the fact that it it rides so well. You know, for even though it's dynamically very sweet indeed, it it's comfortable. In fact, the the the, the go faster version, the S version, isn't as good. It seems to me. Um, I just love the the that's another car you can use in in a lot of different situations
3: it's one of the they don't come along often but it's the it's the classic more than the sum of their parts car and i I think that the gr yaris is one before that it was the alpine and i'm trying to rack my brain a bit if you go back a bit further because they just they're just so rare they're cars that come along and just tick every single box
0: and what struck me is as you say steve the the basic one is the is the nice because usually the the fast one comes along and the way the UK market is divided everybody buys the everybody buys the, the nice bits like the GR Yaris everybody has the, the circuit pack and with an AMG everybody has the S but as my understanding it's about 50-50 split with the Alpine which is remarkable that people have gone no 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 I want the pure one because that's what it's supposed to be. But I mean your
2: your recommendation am I right is 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 that people consider the I think yeah. So. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, uh, very much so.
1: But I I think um I just love that about it, the way it just confounds all that. And, you know, your average car buyer might well go into a showroom and say, yeah, I've got all the money. Give me the give me the, the full bells and whistles. Yeah. And, t- t- and that's why we get to feel so superior. Mate, isn't, it? <laughs>
2: but isn't, it, isn't it fabulous that this car starts its virtues start with lightness, you know, especially in this era when, when, when we, we, we're so obsessed with two ton cars. Completely. And here's one that here's a one ton car.
4: Yeah.
1: And it's been so well thought through the whole double wishbone thing, you know, that whole wheel, you know, the, just the way it's supposed to work in the real world on real roads.
0: Yeah. All right, and then finally, here is a two-ton car, and I'm going to step away from this uh, because my bias is both ways will will show. It's a used Land Rover Defender for up to around twenty thousand pounds. My advice would be spend a little bit less and leave some contingency. <laughs>
3: Why is that Each much? year, well, because mine
0: because mine has just presented me with a four and a half grand bill, but um, but you but, didn't pay
2: twenty in the first place.
0: No, didn't pay. No, paid, paid twelve. And to be fair, it's still worth exactly that ten years, uh, eight nine years later. Well, there is something to be said. And for you
2: that, bought isn't there? you yours a TD five, isn't it? It's Which TD5. people say is, is the one, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, it's a they, they say it's the one that makes a nice the nicest motorway car. It's a great towing towing vehicle. Uh, ours is a ninety XS. So it's quite a nice spec but these things are pretty relative. There is air conditioning which actually means there's this enormous bar across the bottom of the dashboard with with about four vents in it. It's a complete when you spec air conditioning. It's actually a completely separate unit that's bolted to the dashboard. Uh, but it's got side facing rear seats so it seats six if you want it to. The the great thing about it is what it does as a tow car and what it does off-road. So I get it when people when it's a when it's a complete wild card that you're just using for the fun of it.
2: But it's all that other stuff, isn't it? You know, the the fact that it's got the flat the flat wings, so when you stop for a cup of tea, you rest your cup of tea on that. And, you know, your car, which I've seen um, many a time, and it, and it uh, it's most certainly a workhorse, but you can climb up and do stuff on the roof mm-hmm. if you need to. You can either carry things or you can stand up there, can't yeah. you? Yeah, if it was that,
1: the original lifestyle vehicle,
0: mate. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. It's well, I mean, it, it was. I mean, it was conceived as an agricultural vehicle, wasn't it? But because of but because of that, it is very much like a, a tractor unit. You know, it is, you know, it's it's such a versatile. It's such a versatile. Thing. I mean, you can use one daily if you if you really want to. And and you know, mine covers ten thousand miles a year in normal years, which is quite a lot for an old defender, I would think. But it's. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's. There's a point where it stops becoming a car and starts becoming a, a hobby and a, and a mm. pet. Almost. How
2: often do you bang your funny bone on the door?
0: Uh, not, so, not so often because it's got a, to an it? aftermarket steering wheel, which is a bit smaller, which ah. actually makes yeah, which makes quite a big difference. So that Land Rover elbow bruise isn't such, a, isn't such a, an issue. But yeah, on the standard big wheel, I used to do it all the, all the time.
2: Does that make it the the smaller diameter wheel makes it steer a lot better? Presumably?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And actually one of the I mean dynamically it's pretty shoddy, but one of the things it does do quite nicely is steer quite well. It's quite a consistent weight and reasonably accurate at low speeds. It gets a bit vague at high speeds, but that's the tires more than.
2: And there's even you, you could never describe it as as a good ride, could you? But but there's something there's something special about the way it rides even, I think that
0: car. There's an honesty. Yeah.
1: To in, it. The, it's exactly the same on like smooth roads as it is on on Belgian <laughs> yeah, Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Terrible <laughs> everywhere. But it's uh but I I mean I was not involved in in that vote. Um but I don't know I get it. I get it. I mean, do I would, you
2: also am I right in thinking it's this is popular with the whole family, isn't it? You know, your missus loves it, the kids love it.
0: It's yeah, it's one of those it is one of those one of those cars and uh not just my defender I, I i ran a a newer defender about six seven years ago towards the end of the towards the end of the life cycle so it was a 2.2 pumas and i was running a short um a short wheelbase one and ran down to portugal in one took a took two or three days to run down and the nice thing about it is that the, the cabin is so airy uh that everybody gets a really decent a decent view out and in one in one of the old ones which which has the side facing rear seats which eventually became illegal but in but in that it's the person in the front passenger seat it's a very easy turn to talk to people in the back so it does feel like a really communal vehicle which I yeah which I liked a lot about it I've got to say actually it's um I mean my children are too old to want to go in the in the back of a defender anymore but there was a time yeah it was it does it i think it makes a really good family car and everybody likes it it's one of those cars that you can take everywhere as well and not feel a burke anyway you could you can go to you know for you can go to to you can turn up at a school or a supermarket or an opera or anything and feel fine in it and that's i like that about it so that is uh, the Reader's Champion, and now it is time uh, to reintroduce Mark Tischel for this year's Editor's Award.
3: Yeah, it's one we've given to Sir Lewis Hamilton this year, the, the seven-time Formula One World Champion. Uh, and the reason why it's not a mere motorsport word, and I don't mean that in any kind of disingenuous way, but it, it, it's above that because of the impact Hamilton has had um, on wider society, frankly, here. Yeah. Uh, he's become a, a real activist, a, a free speaker. He's, he's leading and driving change um, in motorsport and the fight against racism. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to catch up with him uh, recently um, to sort of tell him about the award and interview him. It was a, it was a very privileged thing to do. Mm. But he was he was an inc- incredibly engaging, um, articulate, fascinating bloke. The, the, the kind of Hamilton you might hear in soundbites after... He's qualified on pole, and a microphone thrust in his face to ask if he's going to beat Max Verstappen tomorrow. You know that, that that's kind of him doing his job, but, it, but his real passion lies as much off the track as well, uh, and the change he's making. And Steve and I were, just, were talking earlier, and, and how rare it is these days for, for sportsmen, um, people of that status, to to speak their mind and and to come out, um, you know, and criticising uh, inequality. Um, racism, gender equality, every, everything in society. But but Hamilton does that on a weekly basis. Mm. Uh, he's an inspiring bloke. Yeah. And he just happens to be an amazing best-of-his-generation racing driver as well.
0: Yeah, I think he's a phenomenal. He's my favourite racing driver. I think he's phenomenal. And what's, what I find interesting is that quite often people will say, oh, God, sports people are all so dull these days. They never say anything noteworthy. And then Lewis Hamilton comes out and says something noteworthy. And I'd, I don't know. Some I think he gets more flack than he... Than he deserves. I think. I think he deserves a, a lot more credit for for what he says.
3: Yeah, I agree. And you know, he really came from nothing as well. You know, and it, I'm sure a lot of people listening would have watched the um, F1 Netflix Drive to Survive uh, program recently, and they actually ended on a bit with Hamilton, and they were sort of playing old footage of him as a seven, eight year old kid. Mm-hmm. And, and he's talking then as a as a young boy about the racist abuse he's suffering. Yeah. And you yeah. think that is just, it's disgusting. It's outrageous. You know, and it cuts to his dad and his dad is having to say, Oh, we just try and ignore it. He's, he's a young boy finding his way. And, and you know, they they were not a well-off family. Hmm. Um, and when he was speaking about it as well, uh, the, the quote on his family was interesting. Uh, you know, he, he, he is aware of how, of his upbringing. He's, you know, he's grateful to where he's got and he's grateful for everything he has um, the quote I've got here uh, I, I think for me just getting to Formula 1 is a huge milestone from where we started that's something I'll always be incredibly proud of because it was down to the uh, amazing work my family did, my dad did the commitment of my parents was unimaginable for me I find it hard to imagine how people can be so selfless, putting absolutely all their time and energy and money, money, instead of being able to. Well, in the world we live in today, people want to buy new cars, new homes, new clothes, go out shopping, have good things. But my parents gave all of that up in order to look at the long haul and give me a better life than they had, and that's pretty special. Yeah. And he's a, he's a pretty special bloke, and yeah. and he's, you know, he's saying now. What's motivating him is the off the track stuff. You know, He is going to use his platform every time he wins a race and, and has a microphone. He will, will speak out against racism and try and educate people as well. He wants to bring, bring people with him. Um, again, he, he was saying it, it's not people's fault, they don't know what they don't know. Um, said so there's some things I'm not knowledgeable enough to speak out on unless you do the homework and that's really what last year and really what this year are about, it's never too late to learn it's not our fault we weren't educated on these things when we were younger, it's been amazing to go and see that some people have gone out and done the homework themselves, watching documentaries rewarding, uh, reading books uh, more people need to do it and then I asked them why um, you know why don't more people speak out you know, in your in your position, why are not more prominent Sports stars, um, you know, f- f- uh, speaking against racism and other issues. Um, people say it's risky uh, and don't speak on it. How will your country see you? How will your fellow countrymen perceive you? And all these different things. But there is an awfully long way to go. Last year was about calling out and speaking out, but this year it really is about taking action. But there are still people who have not spoken about it, so there is a long way to go.
2: I oh, think also there nobody will have seen it as up close as him, him and his dad. You know, imagine. Imagine what it must have been like for them when he's seven and, and so different from all the other aspirational people hanging out. I, I, I think he's a remarkable statesman like bloke. And you, the thing I hope is that when he gives this up, whenever it is, that he keeps his status in some way so he can keep on talking.
0: Mm. Mm. You kind of get the vibe he will, won't you? He, just, he, won't be, he won't just sort of disappear and you know live in Miami and just go surfing every well, time. Well, Sterling
2: Moss had a long career, didn't he? Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I've got some notes uh, in front of me, and next to every, every winner's name, I put their job title. So with Sir Lewis Hampton, I just put GOAT, crazed of all time. <laughs> I think he's, there's no, I mean, I'll accept no, no counter argument. I think he's superb. Well, so let's move on to uh, a used car hero, Saunders. You nominate well. We all staffers nominated what they thought it should be, and then every other staffer nomi- voted on everybody else's, but their own. Everybody decided that, like I was is right, is right it, and yeah. they decided you were right. Yeah. Go on, tell us about it. <laughs>
1: it was uh, uh, the correct answer to this. It was <laughs> it was what used car have you been daydreaming about in lockdown? Um, and I sort of struggled with that a bit because it was the same car that I've always been daydreaming about since you know since I started on this magazine. And uh, and it's 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 a three-generation-old E39 BMW M5 super saloon. Um, because I think it it meant a lot to me personally. Um, I guess just because it, it it was there in the car park and it was the big sort of drawingly wonderful BMW that I desperately wanted to drive, and it represented everything that I just walked into. You know, it was just wow! Look at this place. Look at these people. Look at that. It's was just that the mad
2: engine? Which, which, which no, engine? it was the
1: one before. So it was the last V8 M5. It was okay. the last manual M5, the last normally aspirated M5. No, I'm wrong. The V10 was normally aspirated. But anyway, it was kind of, it was the super saloon that started the big horsepower war thing, wasn't it? Because it was, um, it was years after the Lotus Carlton, but it was before AMG started doing silly t- supercharged E-classes. Um, but the Lotus Carlton was still the the daddy 376 horsepower whatever it was yeah and this thing came along with 400 ps um and then the German you know the uh, you know b- before then. long AMG <laughs> and Audi <laughs> were doing 400 horsepower house because that was the new the new thing yeah but it was it just it is it is peak BMW isn't it it's 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 of that era it's of that um that era when um they were built like bank vaults, mm-hmm. and they looked beautiful, just reserved and classic. Um, how a BMW should look, and the interiors were were, were just lovely, simple things. Um, still with it, analog instruments and and, and all of the old school. You know, the little it had the the one I drove had still had the illuminated gear knob, proper gearbox. Yeah, proper manual gearbox, rear wheel drive, no messing. What would you pay now? Um, you can pay as little as sort of fourteen, fifteen grand, but um, you can pay upwards of forty.
0: Um, I think I would pay fifteen would be brave.
1: Yeah, it, it'd be a big shout, wouldn't it? So,
2: so, but but under thirty, you'd get yeah. you a car.
1: Yeah, Pretty certainly, car. certainly, most of them are under thirty, and the the issues with them are pretty simple you know if, if, if the engine's been looked after if the vanos system is, is the big problem and that needs to be looked after but you know straight away if that's not quite right um and they need a pretty big suspension refresh at a certain age you know it's it's, it's standard standard stuff mm-hmm. that comes with the territory mate, mm-hmm. but such a wonderful analog you know um old school thing to drive lovely
0: mega thanks matt right now it is on to our big two Awards. Uh, Mark, we are going to move to the Sturmey Award first. Uh, tell us a bit about that.
3: Sturmey Award uh, is named after the founding editor um, of Watercar, Henry Sturmey. Back in 1895, he saw the potential of cars before anyone else. He, he uh, I think the story goes, he he saw one drive past his office and he was writing about bicycles and thought, oh, I'm going to start writing about them. And there was only a dozen or so cars on the road at that time. And and it was printed within a couple of days, I think, on on the Saturday. Um, you know So he he was a a man of foresight um, and innovation. And that's kind of what this this award is about, the Sturmey Award. It's about innovation and achievement. Um, And our winner is uh, Thomas Ingenlaff. The chief executive uh, of polestar innovation and achievement are words you could absolutely label mm. um, to polestar they're uh, a new company they're obviously owned by volvo and the gd group um, electric or electrified and then electric only brand um, making you know really progressive interesting interesting looking interestingly powered um cars and it's it's telling that he's a designer he's he was volvo's chief designer and we've got designers running car companies now so when you when you kind of think um you know what's going to be important in the future when all cars are using very similar motors very similar um uh batteries etc it's going to be design and branding that really makes cars stand out uh and and polestar have seen that before anyone else and which is why Ingelaf is our man this year yeah
0: Superb. Thanks, Mark. So I spoke to Thomas to give him our congratulations and to ask him what it meant to be the, a designer at the very top of a
5: car company. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a huge honour to accept the Sturmey Award, both on a personal level and on behalf of my company Polestar. I'm humbled to receive this award from a publication as respected as Autocar. Growing up, There were expectations on me studying law or medicine, but I decided to go a different way and to study design. Not going for the easy option was the start of the best adventure ever. I joined Škoda when the direction of the brand was yet to be shaped, left the VW group for Volvo when Volvo's future was still far from written, and then moved to Polestar when the route to electrification was nowhere near as clear as it is today. So I am delighted and honoured to accept this award on behalf of all the Polestar employees and I promise to continue taking the challenging route and drive change in our fantastic industry.
0: Our well, congratulations then to Thomas again. And now we move on to the big one, which is the Isagonis Trophy. Steve, tell us about this.
2: Well, Sir Alec Igonis, as everybody knows, is was the man who invented the Mini. He came up with uh, that concept of, of the ten foot car with the sideways engine that delivered four seater capability in a in a car that was barely bigger than a micro car, and uh, and he it it was a most radical, extraordinary um, innovation at the time, but he did it on he, pretty much on on sort of Personal magnetism, you know, he wasn't a particularly emollient character, I believe. You know, they, they used to call him either Is He Gone Yet or Aragonus. <laughs> uh, so he, um, he, but the thing is, he just carried it through, mm. and, and that ability to make a difference is the reason we coined this award. Um, some people can just do that.
0: Mm. So, who's, who's done it this year?
2: It is Hyundai
3: Motor Group's uh, leader Yusung Sung-chung. Uh, he's he's doesn't give many interviews. He's he's a character who people don't really know too much about, but he's the absolute visionary at the top of the Hyundai um, Motor Group, encompassing Hyundai, Genesis, Kia, and everything they've touched pretty much in the last decade or more has turned to gold. Um, Hyundai. Let's look at Hyundai for, for a moment there. They've taken a, a fairly humdrum range of cars to some of the most desirable, attractive, reliable, but also retaining that value, adding in design and dynamics as well. They've launched N, the performance um, arm as well, and gone gone to top-level motorsport program. They're there of electrification, launching ever more electrified models under the Ionic brand. Uh, Kia as well has absolutely transformed itself um, within the Hyundai Motor Group in in a very similar story Uh, and now the kind of big one in that they're going after the premium brands with with Genesis I mean that's perhaps a bit the biggest um, toughest task of all yet you know all signs are good if you look at the track record or of um, Hyundai and it's a company that's Driving conversation as well, they're, they're not just banking on electric cars, but they're, they're investing in hydrogen as well. You know, they're a huge industrial um, company, big industrial footprint. Uh, they're successful in all the markets they operate in. Um, I know I mentioned Peugeot earlier as perhaps the success story of the last sort of four or five years. But but if you throw that to sort of last decade or so, there's no one who's covered more ground or improved to such a high level and be at a high level as Hyundai. Yeah.
0: I think I, I think I was on a Kia Rio launch in I don't know, early two thousands or something like that. And somebody from there saying, Yeah, we want to be one of the top between us we want to be one of the top five or six global car manufacturers and you sort of think I remember thinking, Really? That seems quite ambitious. And they're what now, third or something or something, right? It's just an extraordinary rise, isn't it? But with great cars. And I don't know about you guys, but I find myself when people say, what should I buy? I find myself recommending a Kia I and I quite a lot.
2: Yeah. Well, not least because they, they're so confident that the, these cars are going to deliver a good proposition. You know, one's got a seven-year warranty, the other one's got a five-year warranty. It's remarkable, really. Fancy locking people up with, a, with such a complex thing. for Send them away for five years knowing it'll be all right.
0: Yeah. So our congratulations to
4: Yusun Chung. Here is what he had to say. Good day, friends and colleagues. It's a true honor to receive this award today. Autocar is the industry's leading channel for respected and trusted news. I feel doubly honored to receive the Isigonis Trophy, Sir Alec Isigonis and his pioneering innovations, chiefly the meaning have long been a real source of inspiration for us at Hyundai Motor Group. I want to thank all uh, my colleagues today uh, for their contribution in securing this prestigious award. This accolade will further animate our commitment to serving humanity through sustainable and customer-centric mobility solutions. The global auto industry is going through a dramatic upheaval from digitalization, electrification, and so much more. At the same time, it faces the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the difficulties, Hyundai Motor Group is spearheading a paradigm shift in our industry. We have introduced highly advanced electric vehicles the Hyundai IONIQ 5 and Kia EV6. They both use our dedicated EV platform, the EGMP or Electric Global Modular Platform. On hydrogen technology, we have launched H2 Hyundai Motor Group's dedicated fuel cell system brand. We are also investing heavily in R&D and partnerships for the development of hydrogen technology. The purpose is to expand the application of our fuel cell systems, including for areas beyond mobility. Furthermore, we are plowing our resources and capital into future industries, especially autonomous driving, connectivity, urban air mobility, and robotics. I want to emphasize that what lies at the heart of our efforts is our single-minded focus on serving and empowering our customers. Without exaggeration, customers are the only reason for Hyundai's existence. Through a considered and methodical approach, we will create more opportunities and oil the wheel of progress for humanity. The global pandemic has severely restricted our movement and freedoms but I'm confident we will rise above our challenges and enjoy the infinite beauties of our wonderful world again. So, let me wish you and your loved ones great health and happiness on behalf of our Hyundai Motor Group employees. I convey our deepest appreciation to AutoCar for this important award. Thank you.
0: So thank you and congratulations to all our winners. And Steve, Matt and Mark, thank you uh, for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for listening and thanks very much to our sponsors, British Vault, a company destined to play a huge role in the health of the entire UK motor industry as we move into the electrification age. Now, to go with this podcast, there is a bumper magazine on sale June the 9th with full stories and interviews on all of our winners. There is a video which you'll find on Autocar's website and its YouTube channel. That website is autocar.co.uk. And of course... There is a digital edition of the magazine. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll speak to you again
3: soon.